Friends, brothers and sisters, grace and peace is ours. Today, the subject matter that God has in front of us to talk about has the potential to give people here today life-changing truth that could help you maybe sometimes unlock for yourself the key to your own interpersonal relationship with other human beings. So my prayer is that you, God will help you stay undistracted and will help me stay on task to be able to give you these insights. And I want you to bear down in your heart to listen and to watch for what truths that you particularly need so your life can be different and better because of what Jesus taught you here today. So we're in a series on friendship, and every single one of us wants friends. We want friends who will be like family, and we want family who will be like friends. So the first Bible verse that will guide us today, we're going to have three Bible verse, is found in, in Proverbs. Proverbs 18.24, and it goes like this. Remember, Solomon wrote the Proverbs, and outside of Jesus was given the greatest wisdom of any human beings received on the face of the planet. He wrote all these little wise sayings. And this is his wise saying about friendship, and he's using two parallel thoughts that are what's called antithetical. They're, they're against one another to make a point. So here's, here's the proverb. A man with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. When you find people that are young emotionally, they know that they want friends, they know that friends are valuable and important, but they don't know themselves really well and that they have an insatiable desire to have the popularity and friendship of everybody. And so they work really hard to be liked by absolutely everyone. That's a recipe for disaster. And if someone who wants, just as a clear statement, I want an undefined many friends is really kind of trying to be friends with as many as possible or everyone, they will be harmed, Solomon says. He knows that. Wise man, he was. He said, instead, look for, what he's saying is, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Well, what does that picture of a brother sticking close to you mean? Well, you just stick with family, right? As difficult as it is, you are stuck with your family, and your family's stuck with you. And even when it's difficult, if you get that emotionally that you're supposed to be there for your family, it brings an amazing, durable commitment and strength in a family. And we're used to seeing that, even if we're not used to having it completely. Well, there are friends that stick closer than a brother. And you have some, maybe, that stick closer to you than a sibling. I hope you're thinking about family members who are friends of yours and maybe your best friend in the family and friends who are great family to you right now. Now, real quickly, I just want to erase you to a quick little scene. Someone stops coming to church who is an active part of that congregation for a very long time. The pastor makes an appointment, comes over to see them. The, the heart is starting to open up, and the person says, Pastor, let me just lay it out for you. I don't have any 
friends at our church. And it just dawned on me, there's not anyone really that's my friend. Now, if you're the pastor, you might be thinking, well, wait, I've got to list who are friends for this person. Like, I'm your friend, and we want a chance to be your friend. But I want, this is where, I, when I started in my introduction, this is what I was talking about, secrets to emotional and spiritual maturity that I want you to understand. What's really challenging this person is not the failure of the friends at church, although the church may have failed that person. What's really challenging the person is that they've let that situation make them think that the right approach to life is conditional. That you look at everybody else and say, are you serving me? And you're not serving me very well, and I don't have any friends for me, so I need to go somewhere else. And it's so subtle, and it happens so fast, that the person feels so right in their critique and their criticism that they feel like it's okay to withdraw their friendship. And what God is teaching us today is not, you need to look for someone who sticks closer than a brother. He's asking you to be that someone that sticks closer than a brother. And if you can bear down and come to repentance about a a world that centers around you and how everybody's treating you and realize that the secret to life is, is asking God, how do you want me to treat my church and everybody else? You will have a changed life. And you will learn to nip in the bud that, that feeling in a family, in a workplace, in a church, anywhere, to quit evaluating what everybody else is doing to decide whether or not you're going to love them. Because your love is based on you and God unconditionally loving people. So what does this friendship look like? That, that it's constant. That's the word today. The word for today is constant or constancy. It's, it's that's always going to be there for other people without conditions. Unconditional acceptance is what constancy looks like. This is how it goes. I don't accept you because you reciprocate the love that I give to you, and therefore you've earned my acceptance. I accept you because God is in my heart, and I can accept you regardless on whether you reciprocate. I'll always be the the friend that sticks closer than a brother because I accept you unconditionally. Jesus taught this kind of love when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, you want to be like God? He puts rain out there on the evil and the good. And he said in Luke 6, he even does it with, for people who are ungrateful. So when you get that little pity party and you go, and they, didn't even, they don't even show gratitude, they're not even thankful, and you decide, that's my out. I don't have to love them anymore. I don't have to give to them anymore. I don't have to serve them because they're so ungrateful. Uh, time out. You just stop being a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It's unconditional acceptance. It lives only in the moment. You know, most of the time we criticize this kind of attitude, this existentialism where you live just in the moment. We think that's the sign of youth. Did you notice that often though youth are some among the happiest people in the world? 
because they know how to live in the moment? Let me explain what I mean, though. I've been here at this church almost 25 years. There's only a few of you that have been here longer. I'm that old. (laughs) Many of them that used to say, I've been here longer than you, Pastor, have gone to glory. When you look at me as an individual, because you are a sinner with a very powerful brain, you think of many things that I have been a part of in your life, both good and bad. You think of my failings, my sarcasm, my what I promised to do and didn't do, what I did that I shouldn't have done, and some of the good that I did when I was there for you or not, whether I was there for others that you loved or not. You think about all of that, and you do that for each other, and you do that for everybody. But that will bite you because if you think of me in regard to my failings in the past, it will be hard for you to be constant there for me because you're thinking he doesn't deserve it because he failed me in this way. And we get that way about groups like our church or our workplace or our family. If you want to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother, you have to, in Christ, forget the past. You have to live only in the moment, which also means you forget the future. Because here's another thing that happens in a relationship. Because of the past with a person, we fear that the future will only be a a similar string of disappointments. So we decide, I'm cutting myself loose. I'm not going to be there for that person because it's just going to be more of the pain. Really? Have you ever met someone that they blew a marriage apart and then they became the people that they always should have been for each other and the new spouse gets the benefits? Isn't there a possibility that you two can get together with godly counsel and experience the transformation that brings the blessing. I've watched people stick it out and they'll say, man, I'm glad I didn't leave because I experience now what I've always wanted. You see, when you think you know the future is going to go a certain way and it's just you're just sure it's going to go that way, you check out and you start behaving like a conditional friend. You're not a friend that sticks closer than a brother and it's really hard for anybody else to love you. You also, though, need to give up what you hope people will be if you're going to stick closer than a brother. Because you can kind of hang in there and set yourself up for disappointment because you hope they're going to be better. Maybe they've even, you know, they say if a man opens a car door for a woman, one of the two is new. Maybe you're thinking that the person's just putting on a good act for you, but you hope not, and this is a really good act, and maybe this is the real deal. But you're setting yourself... See, if your love's based on the condition that what I see right now promises me a bright future. And and truth be known, the reason a lot of people make it all the way to the altar is that they feel like this is a pretty safe bet that I'm going to get some really good loving out of this person in a lot of different ways. (laughs) Instead of what? I'm bringing good loving in a lot of different ways without conditions. That's the kind of friend God wants you to be who sticks closer than a brother to everyone in your family, everyone 
among your community of friends, and here you go, everyone you meet and everyone who considers themselves your enemy. Whoa. Yeah. So, can you do it? Don't you dare say you can. By yourself, I'm sorry, you're human. I'm human, you cannot do it. Just let real relationship come into your life and you'll realize how hard it is to stick closer than a brother. No one can do it perfectly save one. That's Jesus and you know that. This was said by Jesus the night before he died. Let's read it out loud together. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. This was the night before he died in a conversation where he said he was their friend. He said he was their friend this way. He said, you are my friends. I'm laying down my life because I'm your friend. He didn't say you're my friends because y'all are so great. You're just the most wonderful disciples I ever could have picked. You're turning out so great. You're going to be starters next year on my team. This is so awesome. You are just wonderful men, and I just want you to know you're the best friends I've ever had. He didn't say that. He said, you're my friends, and I'm going to lay down my life for you. And he said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friend. And then he said, in that same conversation, I am like a vine, and you're, glued, you're, you're growing out of me, and you're a branch. Unless you remain in me, you cannot bear fruit. You can't do anything. So when I was up here a few minutes now preaching about friendship and sticking closer than a brother and asking you if you can do it, unless you remain in Christ, you don't have the power to stick closer than a brother to anyone. Jesus says boldly, I am the secret to life. I'm the secret to a happy family, a happy marriage, happy friendship, happy church. You have to remain in me, not just in religion, not just in family ethics, not just in a code. You remain in me, in my selflessness, in my laying down my life, and my love that's unconditional flows out of the veins of who I am into you. Now, how in the world? You know, when I was a kid, that's my confirmation verse. You know, how do you remain in Christ like a branch in a vine? I'm a human being, right? This is what he means. You remain in the truth of what I am about, which is found in words. You look at the stories about my life and study them prayerfully. You read my my words in red. There's a new country song out the last couple years, the words in red. You read the words in red and you read them like food for your soul and you find out what they really mean for me like we're doing here. And they will change you inside and give you the power to be the kind of friend that I am for other people. They will make you lay down your life selflessly, Christ-like, and be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But you get away from me, and you can get away from Jesus and be in church every Sunday. You get away from me, and you'll dry up, and you'll be selfish and crabby and conditional and insecure and suspicious. You won't have friends. Because you won't be a friend. But remain in me, he says. 
and it'll flow through you and you'll bear fruit. And now we're going to talk about it at the, at the, as the third point. What is, what is that fruit? It's many things, but today we're going to talk about it. it's the fruit of a forgiving heart that totally forgives other people. That sees in people the value of their soul more than anything on the planet. The most important thing on this entire planet are the souls of those who are still living here. Everything else on this planet belongs to God. The souls belong to God too. Everything is God's. When you become a child of God, you enter into his family and you get the family inheritance. It says in place in Paul's letters, we own all things under God. That's very important for understanding the parable of the prodigal son and the forgiving father. So here's what was happening in Jesus' life. This shows you what this shows you what a, a, a constancy does in a person's life when they understand grace in Christ. And we're finishing up here. Jesus was, was around for three years, and there were, there were really good sinners and really bad sinners in his community. Do we have those? Yeah. Y'all are the really good sinners. Out there are the really bad sinners, right? They make the news. Jesus hung out with the really bad sinners. And the really good sinners said, What? You're wasting your time. We're not hanging out with them because they're really, really bad. And God just wants them to finish out being bad and go to hell. We don't have time for them. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you a story. There was a father who had two sons. One was a really bad sinner and the other was a really good sinner. The really bad stinker sinner said, Father, I don't really want to hang out with you anymore. I don't want to be around you. I kind of wish you were dead. Give me my half of the inheritance now. And you know, I've had my kids. I was 36 years old and I heard my kids talking about who was going to get my, my hunting guns before I, when I died. I, I jumped out of the bedroom and said, I'm not even half dead yet. Don't be talking about who's getting my guns. Right? We do that. We're sinful, right? So the son comes in and he goes, I want half of everything. I want to be separated from you. And you know what? The father owns everything. He said, here, you know, his heart's broken, but he says, here, take it. And he knows what's going to happen because the son has not a lick of sense. And he goes out and he wastes it all on prodigal living. Drugging, drinking, women, just no, no, no relationship with his money at all. Doesn't understand the, why, why you save or anything. Wastes it all. Now, he's still alive. He's still got a soul. What's the most valuable thing on the planet? Souls, not the money. And the Father, of course, represents God. Jesus is telling this, and Jesus is God. So the Father gets it completely. So has the Father lost the soul? Well, he lost him while he was gone. But when he sees that soul that's repented out there and said, my father is gracious enough to have, take care of his servants, I'll just go back and be a slave. And he sees that boy coming down the road. What's the Father thinking? Man, I hope he brings at least half of what I gave him back. No, he's thinking what? That's my son's soul. He's coming back. Right? Now, if the father owns everything, what does he care that it got rearranged out there by the son's frivolity? The son was coming back. And when the son came back and said, I am a mess and I sinned, I am sorry, I haven't been a family member 
that sticks closer than a brother. The father said, you are forgiven and loved and we're having a party because now you know what love is, you know what family is, you know what life is. We're going to have a great time. He's living in the moment. He's not worrying about the past. He's not making any promises. The son isn't about the future. We're just together. We're in love, in true love. And the older brother hears a party getting started and he says to one of the servants, what's going on? Jesus is telling the story to the good sinners, remember? And the, the good brother, the good sinner says, what's going on? He said, well, your brother came back. Notice what they said. Your brother came back. Remember, friends, family, brother. Your brother came back. And your dad's having a party because he's back. And he goes, what? I've never had a party thrown for me. I don't have any friends in this family or this church. They've not ever given a party. See, he's backing away. I don't, this is, I'm feeling slighted here. What? So the party's going on and the big brother's outside the party. And you might think the father should come out and just give him a piece of his mind. And the father comes out and he loves the, bad, the good sinner as much as he loves the bad sinner. Because why? He's got a soul. Everybody's got a soul. Everybody's loved by God. God owns the whole universe. He created our souls and he put them in it. And if we, whoever, you're, you're tit for tat and worried about good sinners, bad sinners, you're all God's people. I mean, all creation. Every human being is God's creation. He loves everyone he's made in the image of God, even the evil. That's why he gives them rain. So he comes out and he says to the, the brother, Hey, come on in. There's a party for your brother's back. And he goes, you never even made a party for me and gave me a little kid goat. And then you, you, you sacrificed the, I mean, you, you butchered the, the, the family calf for him. This is crazy. This isn't fair. This isn't right for me. And the father said, let's read it. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God loves every person. And God promises every person that trusts that he loves you, he's going to give you heaven. And in heaven, we're all going to own everything and nothing at the same time. We're all going to share without anybody feeling slighted. Every, we, that promise is ours. In fact, the way the Bible speaks, on earth, everything that's over at Chad's house, his car, his house, and everything, it's mine. And everything in my house is his. God just lets me decide if I'm going to love Chad with it the way God wants to love Chad with it. You know, all your stuff is mine. All my stuff is yours because God owns it all. And he wants Don and Chad to look at their soul and say, that's the most important thing to me, not the accumulation or the division of anything else, attention, money, fame, whatever it is. Everything I have is yours. Of course, your son, your brother took half the inheritance, but I own everything, and you're in my heart, and I'm always with you, and you're saved and loved, and he's saved and loved, and so we're all in love together. Are, is this starting to change you? Do you understand what I'm saying? You see how far you can get as a sinner away from the love of God? So now, 
There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. And he makes you a brother that sticks close to everybody else. And they can tell you love their soul no matter what happens. And one of the ways they can tell is that you forget they wasted half the inheritance because you got them back. You know, the biggest curse is remembering. And God doesn't even remember. He says in Jeremiah, the new gospel will be in Christ will be that I remember their sins no more. I cannot live with the fact that God would remember my sins. I wouldn't come home. Don't make people feel like they have to always live down their sins when they're around you. It'll make them hard to come home. I pray God has given you some people in your life that at least partially show you the love of Christ and sticking closer to you than a brother. Everybody has some. I have a few. Probably the most important one in my life is my wife. She stuck closer to me for 31 and a half years of marriage and a couple years dating before that. And I'm going to tell you a couple things. I've made her cry. I've shouted at her. I've withheld, withheld things so that I could get what I wanted. I've exploited her feelings. I've disrespected her. I hope you still let me be your pastor after this confession. <laughs> and she's still here. She's still with me. Although she's coming back from Colorado tonight. She's sticking closer than a sister. She knows more sins about me than any other human being. And she still loves me and forgives me and wants to live with me in my house. And that helps me know Jesus. (laughs) Because I know Mary. And I don't say that to brag, and I think you understand that. I say that because you have people in your life the same way. Whoever they are, you have them. And they help you to know Jesus because they stick with you. Aspire to be like them. And remember that Jesus Christ gives you the ability to do that if you'll just get closer to him and keep drawing the juices out of who he is into your soul. He's the vine. And love everyone closer than you'd love even your own brother or sister. Friendship is constancy, and Christ makes us that. Amen.